A reading from Exodus. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Python and Ramses for Pharaoh, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, 
and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness, Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, What do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Who do people say the Son of Man is? That's a very good question. A good question for his disciples then, and a good question for his disciples now. And just as we are apt to do today, his disciples responded by pulling some chestnuts out of their hats, hoping that they'd get it right. 
You know, like that time you got asked a question on the chapter that you hadn't read for class? Come on, you know you've all been there. (laughs) And then Peter, who wasn't known for his astuteness, blurts out, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Good job, Peter. A plus for you. But why did he say that? And what did he mean by it? Peter has experienced a living God, not a God that he's heard about in the stories of scriptures, but a God that he has walked the road with, shared a meal with, been drawn to by his boundless compassion. In a living human being, he has seen the face of God, and he knows in his bones that he will never be the same. We talk a lot about seeing the face of God in our neighbor, in the other, even as we acknowledge that sometimes it's just really hard to see. And truth be told, if someone were trying to see the face of God in us, they might have a hard time seeing it because, you know, we're human. The Buddhist greeting, namaste, you know, the one you say after your yoga class, means the light within me honors the light within you. It's that recognition of the divine light within each of us, even when it isn't readily apparent. Jesus was always able to honor the divine light in the other, even as his followers were scratching their heads about whatever could he see in those people. But eventually, they started to see what Jesus was seeing. And eventually, they were able to see Jesus for who he was, a living God, a God alive and moving in creation. This is a God with whom we are in intimate relationship, not a dead and static system of creedal statements. It's a living, moving, maturing, developing relationship. So when Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, then what we do here on earth matters. Mitzi Smith says it so eloquently when she says, the heavens are witnesses of the people and things that we imprison and the people and things that we set free. When we restrict justice to the dominant and powerful and release or enact unjust laws that impact the most vulnerable among us, heaven knows and is impacted too. Matthew's Jesus said, when you have treated the most vulnerable, the stranger, the foreigner, the imprisoned, those with no homes, the hungry, and those without clean, affordable water, with compassion, justice, and human care, you have done so to me. What we do on earth matters, and it has an impact in the heavens and in the atmosphere around us. Theologians have long puzzled over Jesus' insistence that the disciples were to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Was it just because he knew that that would be the final straw that would get him killed? God knows the world is full of people today who scream from the mountaintops that Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior, 
but maybe the same ones who ban refugees from coming into our country, who tear immigrant families apart, who refuse to help the homeless in our communities because you don't want to attract those people. I think Jesus just wanted us to shut up about it and live like he lived. Stop it with the words already. Words are cheap. What are you going to do? How are you going to live? And here's where I think that maybe we've messed up a little with our idea of church. Too often, I think, we think of church as something we do in here. Here is where the work of God happens. Out there is something else, something less sacred. And perhaps we're confused by what we hear in Paul this morning. Do not be conformed to this world. And what we hear is that the world is bad, even though we know that when God rested at the moment of creation, he called it good. So the question really becomes, how are we to live our faith in the world? And how are we to live our faith in the everyday? And it becomes really important this morning because we're going to renew our baptismal vows and we're going to baptize little Lucas William and welcome him into this community of faith. And we're going to promise to support him as he grows in the Christian life. Are we prepared to do that for each other and for him? I'm very interested in this idea of listening for the call of God, listening for what it is we're being called to do. For what have we been placed here in this moment in time? What is our unique calling and contribution to the greater good? And how does that fit into this body of Christ? I love Paul's analogy this morning of each of us being unique and necessary to the body as a whole. Our bodies would be pretty useless if we were all kidneys or all pancreases or all fingers. Our bodies function best when each part is doing its best at doing its unique and important function. And I think that often there's a disconnect between what we see as holy and sacred and what we see as our everyday life. If Peter was supposed to build this church on this rock, what exactly was that supposed to look like? Something on a hill set apart? Or a community of human lives that embody a God that is a living, breathing, speaking demonstration of justice, love, and peace? We live in a time of great turmoil, where the forces of evil threaten to overwhelm us. Perhaps we have lived too long thinking that the forces of racism and neo-Nazism were on the wane, but find that they have not only been alive and well, but are growing and now feel emboldened to spew their ideologies of hate. These things aren't new. After Joseph welcomed his people to dwell in safety and prosperity in the land of Egypt, the Israelites must have felt that their travails were over. But then, uh-oh, we hear that ominous, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And the new king told a lie. He said, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. This wasn't true, but he told the lie 
and the people believed it. And the Egyptians set on a course to oppress the Hebrew people, escalating to the point where they were ordered to start murdering their male newborns. Today, we hear a new lie. The Islamic faith is our enemy, and Muslims are out to murder us. Hispanic people are coming to overtake us, our jobs, and our world as we know it. They are, after all, murderers and rapists. Our own president has just pardoned a man who terrorized the Hispanic community solely on the basis of their skin color or the language they spoke in the mistaken belief that Sheriff Arpaio was doing his duty by flouting our constitutional rights. And like the Israelite people in Egypt, we are being called to act against injustice. We are going to recommit ourselves this morning in our baptismal vows to resist this evil. We are being called upon to discern our path forward to identify the gifts that we bring to this body of Christ to build this church upon a rock that is so strong that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are being asked by Jesus himself to employ our unique gifts to act. This church, this particular denomination of the Jesus movement, as our presiding Bishop Curry likes to call us, should be the structural support that helps us find our calling, that helps us to live the unique lives with the unique gifts that we have been given for God's service. This week I met with Amy Cook, who is the new head of faith formation for the diocese, to talk about how we go about expanding our ideas of what we mean when we talk about ministry. And how do we go about finding our particular calling to meet the demands of our time? And she told a story about a woman she worked with who heard the call in her church for Sunday school teachers. And she, wanting to do her part for the kingdom of God, stepped up. And it was a total disaster. She didn't like it. She wasn't good at it. The kids didn't particularly like her either. And when the year was over, she was dispirited and felt like a failure. But on further examination, it was revealed that in her day job, she was a project manager for the cleanup efforts of Massachusetts Bay. This was her passion, cleaning up the bay, at which she succeeded beyond anyone's wildest expectations. And through her efforts and those of her team, the bay was transformed from a filthy, polluted place to one that was clean, swimmable, and there for the enjoyment of all. How is that not ministry? How is that not being a functioning member of the body of Christ that Paul is describing? How do we, as the people of God, support one another in finding our calling, not to try and pound someone's square peg into our round holes? Frederick Beekner says, Vocation is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. The world has many pressing needs that we as Christians are being called to address. Where are you being called to meet the world's needs? Today, 
when we say our baptismal vows, and we promise to support little Lucas in his growth as a Christian, let us make sure that our promises mean something. Let us examine all the ways that we can hold one another up as we listen for God's call in our lives. Use our time together as a time of refreshment and encouragement and renewal for the work of that call. Then, offer our lives as that living sacrifice in God's service. Wrestle with those things that keep you up at night, those things that you feel most passionate about. Pay attention to those things that gnaw at you and won't be silent. And be prepared to be surprised at where God's call may lead you. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.